Good morning, everybody. You are indeed a hardy breed to be here this morning and to survive the ride. This morning, the, uh, the title that we gave this service is that uh, I have come. I want to talk to you uh, this morning as I was preparing for the talk, I, I came across a verse and the verse jumped out at me and the, and the verse captivated me for days and days. And, and so I've decided to reduce my whole talk to this verse and it's found in John chapter one, verse four. And John is describing who Jesus is. And he says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You see, God sent Christ to dwell among us. And that is a big deal. Those words just rang over and over in my to dwell among us. We ate with him. And we talked with him. We fished with him. We walked with him. We heard him. We saw him. And we beheld his glory. You see, dwelling is different than visiting. Wouldn't you agree? Living with, with someone is very different than having a cup of coffee with them. Dwelling is different than, than visiting. Dwelling is different than blowing in, blowing up, blowing out. You see, the way we are wired, life flows. It's the strangest thing. Life flows out of relationship with each other. Ever noticed how much energy you get from people and how much energy you get from giving life and love to people? It flows out of relationship. And Dwelling is about being around long enough for people to see and to experience you, to experience you when it's good and to experience you when it's bad. Dwelling is about um, an intentional investment, right? We were created, human beings were created for this for, for, for personal and emotional connection. In truth, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much of anything you have, to the degree that, that you are connected to the people, to that degree, life is worth living. And, and, and you have to dwell together in order to connect to each other. You will never share or participate in someone's treasure, which is their essence. You will never be able to participate in someone else's presence or their essence from a distance. And God knew that. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, David and Chelsea Sonchen, um, where are you? They are here. I saw them walk in. They're in the back. Oh, they're upstairs. David and Chelsea um, uh, are members here, are part of our community. 
David's father and mother are Randy and Judy Shonson. 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 Sonchen. 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 <laughs> Judy. That's it. Uh, yes, those two. Uh, let, we'll just call them Randy and Judy. Um, and when Ran- Randy is one of my favorite people on the planet. And when they are in on this continent, when they're in town, um, I, I get to have the privilege of having coffee with him whenever I can. You see, they live in northern Uganda on 6,000 hectares of land. They live three miles from the nearest village. Like, that's not even a Mohawk station. Three, uh, th- three uh, hours drive uh, from the nearest Mohawk station. And Randy says that when you are driving across the plain, there are lions and tigers and gazelle and all things that are wild right outside your window. It's no more different than cattle grazing outside the, the car when you're driving through Alberta. They, Randy is the CEO of a, a farming initiative called the Omer Farming Company Limited. And this farm employs hundreds of locals. Uh, and it, this initiative, it, it's got three kind of things that it, it, it brings to the community. One of the things it brings, it demonstrates the benefits of foreign partnership and foreign investment in Uganda. It introduces sustainable uh, farming practices to, to, to the locals. But the biggest piece, the biggest reason Randy and Judy are there is because of the kingdom mission that they get to participate in while being in northern Uganda. Randy puts it this way. He says that running a farm like this legitimizes our reason to dwell among the people. It legitimizes our reason to live up close to them and to eat with them, and to walk with them, and to talk with them. Because the truth of the matter is, as children, and sons, and daughters of God, all we really need is a reason to dwell among the people, to make room for the life-pulsating presence of God to be pulled through us, and change, and shift, and move the people around us. See, when you are walking in relationship with Christ, you bring the embracing presence of God to every environment that you walk into, to every human being that you touch. And that is the servers and the waiters and the checkout people. It's every human being you touch. I, was, uh, uh, I have an office and I work out of the university. And I'm... There's a bunch of, uh, there's, there's a hub of restaurants and everything on, on the, on, in the building that I work out of. And there's a lot of people working there for minimum wage. And I've been there a year and I've made it my business to get to know every single human being that works there. And I, I'm a chatty Kathy anyway, I'm a bit of a social butterfly. But when I don't have anybody in my office, I go looking for them. Because I'm so aware that the, the embracing presence of God was meant to emit from me. And so I go out and I get to know their names and I get to know their stories. And I make it easy for them to find me. 
You see, you change every environment when you, when, when you host the presence of the Holy Spirit well. And Randy and Judy, they know this, and they are called to, to northern Uganda, and they're going there as, as, as change agents, as people that, that, that God will use, but that will never happen until they dwell among them. And the question that begs asking this morning is who did God send you to dwell among? Who did he send you to dwell among? Who? Who are you supposed to influence? The embracing presence of God coming through you, who? 20, I think it was 23 years ago. We had just moved, in, when we were in Calgary, we had just moved to a new neighborhood. And um, I'll, I'll tell you that I've spent most of my life in church. And the, 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 I would never have been able to hear the talk I'm giving today, 30 years ago. Because I, I really believe that we were supposed to spend all of our time investing back in the church. And if that meant four nights a week or five nights a week, so be it. But we were shifting in our own belief and our own understanding, and we had finally, I, I was shifting out of full-time pastoring into something else, and, and we'd moved into this, Riverbend was the neighborhood that we were living in, and we wanted to get involved in the community almost right away. And so it was time to register our children for U7 soccer, for those of you who don't know, that's everybody that's seven and under. And we signed it up, and there's this little box that says that if needed, would you be willing to help out? Had no idea that that was a trick question. That's the code for we got ourselves another coach. But we were happy to check that off. And sure enough, two weeks later, I got this phone call. Congratulations, coach. Uh, you know what? You can pick up the T-shirts for your team, bag of balls, and the, and the pylons we use for goals in U7 soccer. Now, U7 soccer isn't really soccer. It's, it's, it's a combination of rugby and soccer and herding. It's like herd ball. And I don't know much about soccer, but apparently you don't need to know much so about soccer when you're coaching U7 soccer. We go set up, you just have to know how far to put the pylons apart to make the goal on your end, and the other team's responsible for their end. And then we, we do about a 10-minute practice, and then we play the game, okay? And so the 10-minute practice is taken up by just handing out T-shirts, all right? And um, then the whistle blows, and there's a ball in the middle of the field, and then there's this herd of kids that are kicking the ball, and they don't even know why they're kicking the ball, but they're kicking the ball because other kids are kicking the ball, and they don't actually even know where they're kicking the ball because they can't see outside of the herd. And there's this, um, uh, a mother came to me and introduced me to her, her little son named Levi, and Levi was incredibly shy, and he'd been bullied already in his young life. And so mom just wanted me to be aware that there was no dad in the picture. And Levi, you know what, he, he's, he's just going to struggle, but just be patient with him. And so instantly my empathy is triggered and my heart goes out to him. But, but he's too shy to get in the scrum of things. And so he's hanging back, hanging back, hanging back, always to the side. Well, the ball pops out of the scrum and it lands right at Levi's feet. And all the parents are screaming and cheering like this matters, okay? 
Like, like, what is the matter with you? Like, they, they don't even know what they're doing. And 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 kick it, kick it, kick it, kick it, kick it. And, and and I'm right behind them. I say, Levi, you know what? That's the goal. If you kick it towards it, that's really good. And so he kicks it, and it doesn't. Have, they don't even have a goalie because the the goalie's chasing uh, butterflies and and ladybugs on dandelions just over on the far side with one of our players. And. Levi kicks it and 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 we score. And 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 the herd hasn't even broken up yet because they they're visiting. Now though there's no ball so let's just talk and you know show off our new t-shirts and and then the parents put their hands in the air. Yeah, we scored. And then the kids on cue go, "Oh, yeah, we scored." So I get down on my knees and I'm right there with Levi and I said, "Levi, you did so good. That's exactly what you're supposed to do." And he sticks his arms around my neck and he hugs me. And he's, he's pushing his face, he's pushing his face against my ch- cheek. And I'm looking at mom because this feels a little inappropriate. And, uh, and, and, and I'm looking at mom and she, she's in a puddle. And so I just, and, and, and so now it's time to break the hug, but he don't want to let go. And he holds on. And, and eventually I peel him off and, and the other coach is impatient because he wants to catch up on the goal and, uh, and, and I turn around, there's my whole team, literally, literally lined up waiting for their hug. <laughs> they have not played enough soccer to know this doesn't happen after every goal, right? <laughs> See, God's heart has always been for his kingdom of grace and truth to infiltrate communities and soccer teams and hockey teams and dance schools. It's always been for his heart that, 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 that people would experience the embracing love of the Father and that's why he sends you and that's why he sends me to dwell among them. As I was pondering this, I thought, is it possible that you, you became an engineer or a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber or a welder or a teacher because you thought that would be a good way to earn a living all the while God knew exactly whom he was sending you to dwell among? Is it possible that your love and gift for teaching I think about how many people come through a a professor's or a teacher's life because you knew how desperately they would need the presence of the Father, the love of the Father, the kindness of the kingdom of God. You see, you proclaim God's gospel with your presence. Did you know that? When you're tuned to his presence. You can feel people, can't you? You can tell when you're safe. You can tell when somebody cares. And when you are full of presence, you walk into someone else's life and they'll go blah. Because we are longing for, longing to be seen, longing to be heard, longing to be healed. It's interesting how the story of Christ's birth, the story of salvation, um, began, it comes to us from the womb of Judaism. This whole, this whole narrative began 
in, 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 among the Jewish people. And it's interesting how, how the early disciples, they interpreted everything blindly. They interpreted everything uh, through the lenses of their Jewishness. Peter was raised in a good Jewish home. He was fed in a good kosher kitchen. He, 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 he obeyed all the laws and all the rules that his Jewish tradition demanded of him. And even when Christ comes into the picture and they're waking up to the understanding that the God had become flesh and was dwelling among them, you see, he, he, he's still part of the Jewish narrative that began in the Old Testament. So they're all, they're stretching and trying to get their heads around all this, but it's still Jewishness. And his worldview is fairly safe and secure and he can navigate around it until Acts chapter 10 and the whole world actually blows up in his thinking. It is mind-boggling what happens. He cannot wrap his head around it. In Acts chapter 10, the, 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 Peter has a dream. And in this dream, this sheet, like this bed sheet, comes down from heaven. And on the sheet, there are snakes and reptiles and birds. And this voice from heaven says, Peter, get up and eat. I can't, I'm not going to. See, Peter's mother told him that reptiles and snakes and birds are unclean. He learned that they were unclean. And so he goes, no, I'm not eating it. It comes down again a second time. And there's birds and reptiles and snakes. And, and he said, get up and eat. No, I'm not going to do it. And third time, the sheet comes down. Peter cannot bring himself to do this. And then God says, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. You see, God was trying to prepare Peter to take this message of the gospel outside the Jewish culture to the entire world. And he says, what you think is unclean is not unclean in my eyes. Peter had to unlearn some things that his mother taught him. He had to unlearn the distinction between them and us. He had to unlearn the distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. And I suggest to those of us who are raised in the church, we desperately need to learn, we desperately need to unlearn the distinction between them and us. Every single human being, you, can you understand this? That every single human being on this planet was created with the exact same intrinsic value and worth as you. It's no different. Your believing doesn't change your worth. Their not believing doesn't change their worth. Forgiveness in Christ is extended to every human being on the planet. It's an amazing thing. What God has called clean, you must not call unclean. 
You know what? We've spent most of our lives, I'll say this and I'll say it again and again. I'll say it three times during this talk. Until you, if you cannot address and unlearn the distinction between them and us, the them and us mentality when it comes to, the, to people that believe what you believe and people that don't believe what you believe, that, if you don't unlearn that, you are disqualified from being used as an embracing presence in their lives. I'm going to say it again. You, you, you need to unlearn the distinction between them and us because that distinction disqualifies you from being light in that world. It's interesting that according to the Levitical law, so this is even the law of Moses, and, and, and you, know, it's, you know, a lot of people that want to read through the, the Bible in a year, you know, there's a lot of blood in the book of Leviticus because people die there. It is that boring. It is just so tedious to get through the book of Leviticus, and it's just filled with lots of laws. And it's interesting that... that Jesus, the, it, 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 the book of Leviticus tells you that if you touch the wrong person on the wrong day or the wrong thing in the wrong way on the wrong day, then you are basically defiled. And so, so this, this kind of stuff is, is passed along. If you, if you take too many steps on the Sabbath, you're defiled. If, you, if your wife falls into a well and you, don't, and you go to rescue her on the Sabbath, you are defiled. There's all these rules. And then Jesus comes along. I'm not sure why your wife would fall down a well. I should have maybe used something else. Um, but Jesus comes along and he introduces us to how the kingdom of God is going to fill the earth, going to permeate the earth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus ate with all the wrong people. According to the Old Testament, he was defiled again and again and again by how he ate, who he ate, and what he ate with. He ate and drank with people that were of the wrong side of the tracks. But you know why he did it? It was so they could experience and feel the embracing presence of God. Do you know what happens when you dwell among people well? Do you know what happens? It's really weird. It is so far out there that you're going to go, no way. You become friends. Do you know what happens when you dwell among people that don't believe what you believe or go to the church that you go to? Do you know what happens when you dwell among them? You start caring about them. And then you begin to find out that they are actually precious. And then you engage in their lives and you begin to share the very presence that fills your life because you can't help but emit. And that's what friends do. They share themselves with each other. But if you do not unlearn the distinction between them and us, you will never dwell well. And if you don't dwell well, then you will be disqualified from being the light that you were called to be in the world you were called to. You see, uh, the house here is a, is a community of faith. I promise you this. Our mission is not to contain you or insulate you from the world. This is not a Christian silo that you come and you hide in. Our mission is to be a place of refreshing and connection. 
a place where you can come and be restored and strengthened so you can go out and be refreshing and connecting to the world you're called to dwell in. That's what we are. I really, really want to honor the people that can only get here once every five weeks because they are dwelling as coaches and mentors and teachers in the community and sports. They're out there leaning into people and they only get here once a month and somehow we, we've figured out that that's not a good thing and I'm saying I think that's a great thing. I think that's a great thing. Depending on the level of play, some of you are in here, Rob and Irene, you've spent your whole life investing in young people. You, you, you probably can't think of a year that you've been together that, that you have not spent more time with other kids, other people's kids, than, than they've been with their kids. We've got lots of coaches and, and, and mentors and dance teachers and, 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 and swimming instructors. We've got people all over this place. And, and I want you to know something. You are dwelling well among them. At the level of play that many of you coach, you spend more time with, their, with other people's kids than they do. And bonding happens. And where bonding happens, life happens. And you begin to connect and you begin to experience each other profoundly and beautifully. And friendships and relationships that last a lifetime are formed. How can that be a bad thing? I want to say to those who are, who are deeply invested in charities and community initiatives and causes that make a difference, God bless you. And if you are less visible here in this place, because you are so visible in the community, then God bless you. You are agents of change and kingdom people. There are moments on the bus for you coaches that, that travel with those kids and they smell funny and they don't shower well and they, and they get on the bus and there are moments when, when, when they, they are open and they share things they never thought they'd have the courage to share. And there you are sitting full of presence, of grace and truth. That is called ministry. Dwelling is something that Marcy and I, this idea, once we learned it, we got addicted to it. Once we learned it, once we realized that, that as much as there's a role that we, 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 we fill and we love our community of faith, but, but fundamentally I spend a lot more time in the community or the people that, I, that I'm called to dwell among. And, and um, when, when we moved to, to, to Lake Country 10 years ago, we became incredibly intentional about two things, our neighbors and our community. And I found excuses to get to know our neighbors. In fact, one of my neighbors called me today, didn't want to get outside, so I have to pick up two liters of 2% milk on my way home from church so I can <laughs> drop it off. And in our community, how do you get to meet people in your community? Well, we signed up for every sport we could figure to sign up for. We thought eventually we'll meet somebody. And I wear more than one hat in any given week. I'm a pastor, um, I'm a counselor, I'm a speaker, and I promise you I've learned something over time. The fastest way to shut a conversation down, the fastest way to make, uh, 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 you know, when you're joining another foursome at golf, the fastest way to cut conversation down to a minimum is tell them you're a minister. 
There, it, 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 it's, a, it's a party killer. I'll tell you what, it is. And so I think it's just prudent. And I introduced myself as we were getting to know our community as a counselor. And for years, they, nobody really asked or cared, and we just got to know people. And what's happened over the space of the last 10 years is we've made some amazing, amazing friends. We love them. We care deeply for them. We know their kids. We know them. We know we, they're part of our lives, and they'll probably never come here to go to church. Most of them probably won't ever go to church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. It's funny how when we, so, so I introduced myself probably for the, for the first four years as a, as a counselor, and, and we're, I'm really open about my faith, and that's a pretty easy conversation for me, but uh, everything was cool until one day we invited one of their, our friend's daughter to watch our house while we went to Mexico, and so Amanda comes, and she's babysitting our dogs, and she invites her girlfriend to, to join her, and her girlfriend is there in the house with her and sees a picture of my wife and I, and she goes, oh my gosh, that's my pastor. And Amanda goes, he's not a pastor, he's a counselor. <laughs> she goes, that's my pastor. I know my pastor. That's my pastor. I'm in my pastor's house. Oh, that's cool. So we come back from two weeks of vacation, and we basically landed and went right to the gym because we, had a, we were playing this, this, this volleyball league and we're just warming up and you know setting the ball back and forth and one of the gals sets me the ball and she goes here you go pastor ed and everybody stops i'm going i've been outed i can't believe it i'm outed and i said you know what if we if i told you that's part of what i do you never have invited us into your world and all the ladies go, no, 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 that's not true. And all the guys go, all right. <laughs> you, you know, and, but this is a cool thing. Okay, so, so that, that's, we, I've been outed for six years. But in the last six years, I've married their children. I've buried their parents. For the last six years, you know, I've been able to not just love them as a friend and a counselor. I've been able to love them as a pastor. And I'm, you know what, they... And there's ministry, and it's beautiful. And I'm telling you what, it is an incredible experience, for me anyway. I believe that God has called us to serve our communities with everything that we have. He's called us to dwell among them. Before I drove through, before we moved to Lake Country, I've come through that little hamlet dozens and dozens of times between Calgary and Kelowna. Never even knew it existed. There's nothing impressive about Lake Country from the highway. There's some old, there's trailers, there's some new, got a Starbucks. We got, you know what, there's nothing impressive about it. But when you dwell among them, you discover beauty that you could never imagine. You discover warmth that you could never see from the car. You discover friendship that you could never experience by visiting. Only by dwelling. Dwelling turns them into us. Dwelling turns them into us. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I'm going to take you to, a, to an obscure passage in Isaiah 49. And don't, don't even try. There's really one, only three, uh, four words in here that I want to focus on. So don't worry about the fact that it's kind of cryptic. 
This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I'll keep you and I'll make you to be a covenant. That's the words I want you to get. I'll, I will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to, re, and to reassign the, the desolate inheritances to say to the captive, come out and to those in darkness be free. You see, God is still looking to empower people to be kingdom conduit. And it says that he gave, he has given us as a covenant. It doesn't say he has, he, he has given us to make a covenant. It's saying he gave us to the world as a covenant. We are an expression of the bonding love of the Father. You are a walking relationship. You are a walking covenant. You're an expression of the embracing presence of God wherever you go. See, the great commission that we received was to go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the gospel with how you do life. Probably more powerfully than what you say. You proclaim the gospel when living in the presence of God is expressed through your being and your doing as you dwell among them. And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm so glad that you that you created us to be magnificent creatures. You've given us each our own personality. You've given each of us our own perspectives. And Father, I thank you for that. You've given us gifts that are unique to, unique to us. And we pray, Father, that I pray for us, that we are people that be so full of your presence that we, that we leak. And that the fragrance of your presence in us, Father, begins to turn heads that draw people into our lives so that we can love and share your embracing presence. I pray for those this morning. My, I'm just so aware of how Chad was sharing how now, some of you are in a very difficult place, and I just know how difficult Christmas is for so many. And I want to pray a hedge of protection, Father, around hearts that are just so tender, especially around this time, it's so easy to violate their hearts. I pray that their hearts would be cocooned, Father, in, in your love and your embrace. I pray, Father, for those that struggle because of loss and, and relationships that have been broken at this time of the year, Father, that, you're, that you would just wash over them, that you would protect them, that you would hold them, and that you'd minister to them. In Jesus' name.